Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is Natasha Case, co-founder and CEO of Cool House Ice Cream, which you may have noticed lining the frozen food section of your local Whole Foods. In this episode, Natasha speaks about being raised by an animator and architect, the multifaceted nature of her Harvard-Westlake experience, building a business at the cross-section of food and architecture, and how unveiling Cool House at Coachella in 2009 in a rickety truck they bought off Craigslist changed the brand forever. Natasha also speaks about the importance of setting an example as a female and gay entrepreneur and how opening doors for others like her is central to Cool House's mission. It was a real treat to talk to Natasha and learn her story. This is The Supporting Cast. My pleasure. So first question, I always like to focus on the present. Obviously, we are in lockdown uh, still because of COVID-19. Before getting to your business, Cool House Ice Cream, and uh, how are you doing personally? How have you been and your family been for the last nine months or so? You know, I, I feel uh, pretty lucky considering everything going on. Um, you know, I, 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 I feel good and I've really enjoyed the time with my family, actually. I think for a lot of folks, it's been kind of a reset of obviously forced in this case, but of, yeah. of how we spend our time with our family and, and the amount of time and, and the kind of time that is where you're not, you know, you're so programmed through the day or the weekend to have something to rush off to next. It's just sort of like this long and interrupted, maybe more enjoying the simple things. Um, yeah. So I, I really loved it. And I do have two young children. I have um, a baby that was born during the pandemic, April 17th. So wow. um, that was right after it kind of started. Yeah. Wow. You, it's so funny. You know, it, it was, it was so early. However, already about a little over a month in it, it had felt like it had been a while because, you know, at the time, I don't know that we were expecting to be in the state we're in for so long. So I, I at yeah. the time I remember thinking we're well into this, you know, however, yeah. we were just like, you know, after spring break, it'll be that's fine. It. Right? That's right. what we thought of Harvard West. Like, yeah. <laughs> Right, you know, Memorial Day, we'll have all the uh, the sports leagues back, and nope, uh, she was born then, and I, I just have, like, it's just been night and day in terms of really getting to spend the quality of time with her in the first year of her life, working from home, and being mm -hmm. able to just, you know, uh, be with her, not be on the road as much, and then my son is in school, uh, so it's good that he's getting that time, you know, in, in his preschool to be with his friends and be outside the home, but just with him you know, I'm sure he's just thrilled by the amount of weekend coverage he gets with us. So, you know, all said and done, I've been good. We're, you know, we're healthy and um, just doing our best to do our part to hopefully end this thing. And so that gets to your business. Um, you are the co-founder and CEO of Cool House Ice Cream. I guess first talk about the, the various avenues of your business, whether it be kind of trucks, retail, um, scoop shops, kind of describe what all Cool House is. Yeah. So, um, yes, we do have multiple avenues. Good to be diversified right now, I'll say. We started yeah. with our trucks. That's kind of our iconic, how we entered the marketplace. So just kind of reinventing the ice cream truck for our generation. You know, a, a, a cool truck that was on social media, that served unique creations with great quality, uh, particularly mm -hmm. ice cream sandwiches. 
And we built that business to several cities, LA, now Dallas and New York. And then we do have a scoop shop, which is our flagship in Culver City. And that has now become an innovation center. So we have what's called a batch freezer, which is like for making really small amounts of the ice cream and testing flavors. Hmm. Um, and next to that is our main office headquarters. And then um, we're in grocery. We're, that's about 95% of our business. So we're in about 7,000 doors all around the country, mainly specialty and naturals, it would be called, which just are uh, mm -hmm. stores with premium offerings or with clean label offerings, and then a good amount of conventional stores as well that will have, will carry those kind of products. So, you know, around here, I'd be like a Ralph's, for example, um, where there's premium ice cream. And then also an interesting growing channel that's really, I think, begun to shine more in the pandemic is the cloud kitchen. So dark just distribution centers that you can order products and and also hot food via delivery apps has been taken off huh. for us and and e-com a bit too so that's that's the more emerging channel in ice cream so you mentioned that it's good to be diversified during this time and obviously everything changed for so many <laughs> businesses and i imagine in particular for your scoop shop but maybe all your how did each of these businesses change in the last nine months yeah um you know, I'll start with the sort of rougher news. I mean, with the trucks, the what they're really um, the the bread and butter is really events and experiences. So of course, right. that that usually has to do with a group celebrating on some front. And our number one type of event was wedding, mm. as in the most frequent type of event we would do. And of course, people aren't having weddings with hundred people right now. I, I've heard the new term is mini money, where you just have you huh. know ten people, five people, however, whatever your yeah. state allows. Uh, but that's not gonna, you're not gonna book a whole ice cream truck for that. So, and film sets, which there's been actually here and there some filming, but it's definitely, you know, hugely down from last year um, or just big, big, large scale giveaways from the trucks or we would do multiple stops in a city and meet crowds. So that's obviously impacted a lot. However, we found, I think with any tough times as an entrepreneur, you have to think about, you know, what's the opportunity here or how can I evolve yeah. to better meet this demand? And I think ultimately you, you become better uh, through that exercise. So um, we've been doing kind of the the giveaways in, in a number of different ways. One is um, large scale corporate gifting or employee appreciation, which is also something we would often do as like an event before. But now we've had it where big companies have been booking the truck to stop at like 300 addresses all around town and we deliver little care packages of ice cream. So the trucks are almost like logistical vehicles, but that look uh -huh. a lot more fun when they pull up into your driveway. Um, yeah, right. And then also, instead of having the truck stop in various locations, give out ice cream, um, we've been using our delivery app. So uh, we did something for Amazon where folks could order like uh, the boys uh, ice cream sandwich delivered from Postmates to their house and that sold out in, you know, under two minutes. And we wow. did a huge thing for Ritz crackers, similar idea, you know, order on the delivery apps in various cities. We also shipped to media, influencer, celebrity and then we had it available for pickup, you know, from our shop. So, you know, just finding the different channels to get it to people, I think is still great. And then lastly, I've been doing showing people how to make ice cream and cookies also for typically for, you know, corporate groups where I'm on video and we're, huh. it's a fun experience, you know, um, and I could do that for before I could only really do that for 20 people at a time at our innovation center. Now I could do it for a thousand if I needed to. So, right. Over Zoom or great. whatever. Exactly. Um, the okay. shop is, I would say, actually, I'm really proud of that business remaining relatively intact. You know, we're not serving yeah, people coming in, all, all delivery apps, it's all delivery ah, apps. And we're it. still doing about 80, 85% of the revenue 
um, from wow. that without being open, just packing orders and shipping them. And, you know, the labor to do that is a little bit more streamlined. You, we really only ever have one person there. We had a salaried manager there for part of it. So, you know, we've already factored in that GNA cost and um, a lot less waste of, from scooping ice cream because we're just shipping out really our, our prepackaged line, which is all of our top products. So you have less cookie breakage. You have less ice cream that melted, um, yeah. better cost of goods. So that's been holding on, you know, it's, it's down a little, but it's holding on. And then yeah. our grocery business is up about 40% from last year. So that's actually been positively impacted. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and people are ordering every which way, you know, go, going to stores, you know, as they are essential for getting food, but mm -hmm. ordering pickup has been huge. Um, ordering delivery with like Instacart, you know, Amazon through Whole Foods or Whole Foods through Amazon rather and mm -hmm. all of the like. So that, that business, yeah, has been good. We're, we're an affordable luxury. You can have at home. And we have a lot of now single serve items, single serve ice cream, ice cream sandwiches, single serve cups of ice cream and soon to be single serve cones. And, um, wow. I think people like the, the portion control, um, when it's hard to find that <laughs> during COVID, right. If they've got the COVID-19 they're trying to, to ditch, you know, you mentioned that it's kind of a smaller labor force that is required at your scoop shop mm -hmm. to kind of handle these online orders. I suppose, did you have to let some people go um, for that reason? Now that you are employing less people, maybe your your margins are a little bit better, but you're sort of employing less people. How did that go? Yes, that has uh, been one of the toughest things about all this. We, we do have a couple folks from the Scoop Shop team that have been doing some of the shifts of, you know, packing um, a little bit of scooping here and there that we've done when, you know, the curve was way down at the shop. And mm -hmm. just kind of helping with all the odds and ends at the HQ. And then I have a couple truckers mm -hmm. as well that we've been able to bring back for, you know, I mentioned these large scale deliveries and, and things like that. But the team is is down quite a bit there. And it's it, it hurts. You know, we've had to furlough people and I miss seeing them and I miss them being part of the action. And we are just hoping to bring them back. I'm hoping at the back half of 2021 at the latest because, you know, it's our, it's our team, it's our culture. And they're a really big part of that. That business has been impacted quite a bit. And, and we're uh, on those sides really trying to just survive so that we can hopefully pick up a lot of what was lost coming into next year. I imagine you're in touch with a lot of small business owners. I know you're in touch with a lot of female small business owners in the food and beverage industry. I get a sense right now because there's another big lockdown in effect and outdoor dining has been closed in Los Angeles, that there's I imagine a lot of understanding as to why, <laughs> given the yeah. spike in cases, but there's also some frustration that a lot of businesses have put in a lot of infrastructure into outdoor dining and so forth. And now that they have to close and there's, there, there's seemingly some inconsistency. You mentioned some film sets are still operable at the moment, even though that's, you could argue a controlled environment where people are being tested. What's your sense of how people in the restaurant industry or food and beverage industry, I know you're not a restaurant, are kind of feeling about uh, the environment right now? I mean, there's definitely, you know, you know huge frustration. But yeah. it's, it's, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's, it's important to talk about. I think some of the folks I know, they've just felt so powerless in all this, you know, um, and kind of like just been thrown around amidst it mm -hmm. all, all the changes in regulation. First, not able to do much beside delivery. Then finally able to have outdoor dining where, where, you know, my hope for our city of LA was going into the winter. We could be one of the few places in the country where 
You could, you know, actually, if you're lucky enough to be able to have enough tables on the street or have a courtyard or somewhere where you can access that, you know, we're still in 70 degree weather here and we could be serving people and, and helping those businesses stay alive through this season. Whereas you think of cities like Chicago and New York, and that's just not even possible. Um, right. Yeah. So, the outdoor dining piece seems like you mentioned there are the positive benefits of yeah. having to sort of innovate during this yes. time <laughs> as a Los Angeles resident in beautiful weather where there doesn't seem to be, there's never seemed to be enough outdoor yeah. dining in this beautiful climate, wouldn't that uh, be a, a really positive totally. change from all yeah. of this? I mean, I mean, I agree with you. And, and you know, restaurants should never have to turn anyone away. We should have been able to be on the street more. And it's not it's not yeah. for restaurants not wanting to. There's a lot of regulations and getting sidewalk right. permits and paying for that. I don't know that LA was as friendly to it as it could have been. And, and luckily, kind of the guard just went down there, at least for the time being. Yeah, and that was positive. Yeah, yeah, it was looking like this, you know, more Parisian bistro in the street type <laughs> yeah. setting. And, and oh, yeah, amazing. We should have been doing this all along. Right. Um, Angelinos are very picky, though, about what is good enough weather to eat outside. So in normal times, I think <laughs> my, Freya, my wife's one of those like it's like, oh, one degree too cold, one one yes. degree too hot. We're going inside. But definitely that was a positive. And I think, you know, a lot of those restaurants rented the outdoor setups, the furniture, the umbrellas, the coverings. Those are not inexpensive. No. Um, and now they're kind of stuck with them. So I feel like a lot of it has been about really bad communication and sort of taking for granted, especially the smaller businesses where $30,000 in rentals, I mean, that can sink you. And it's not like you can just send it right back. I mean, you're stuck with it. So um, that being said, my concern and my fear is that maybe, I mean, I, Fran, I ate outdoors a handful of times through all this, um, Mm -hmm. loving to be able to support in that way. And frankly, yeah, just thr- the experience was fantastic. I never for one second felt unsafe. And I know, you know, we're picking places that we trust that we go to, you know, where we've already been, you know, regulars. My my hunch is maybe there's, you know, some bad apples out there where the rules weren't being respected. And now a huge lot has to suffer for them. And I don't know that the county had the wherewithal to be able to really enforce. And and it's not just a restaurant. There's always going to be within any group of business owners. Most of them, I think, probably doing fantastic. And then maybe some that just don't understand or that's just how it's going to go. And maybe without not being being able to enforce it and send out, you know, a ton of people to really check and make sure the standards are being there. I don't know if they just said it's not worth it. And then at the expense of the restaurants that are shutting down. But my hunch was always what a great way that the county or the city could have taken all these out of work, you know, restaurant workers, you know, had them be part of the enforcing and the checking since they understand, you know, how restaurants should be better than anyone. Could there have been an opportunity there to have made sure it was, it was like as tight as it could be to try to keep them open? You know, I don't know. Everyone, everyone has an opinion right now, but um, all that being said, it's just, it's so unfortunate. And I only hope that they can reopen, you know, before it's too late for a lot of them. And it might be till after the the holidays and so forth and well at this point, 2021. So I also know, and I want to get into the kind of the origin story of Cool House. I also know that being the CEO of an ice cream company was not something you had envisioned when you first certainly were at Harvard Westlake or even in the early part of your career. I'd love to take us back. You grew up in LA, I assume. Um, So tell me about that and then coming to Harvard Westlake and why you came upon Harvard Westlake as, as the school for you. Um, very proud to, to be born and raised here, as is Freya, actually. So we're a household mm-hmm. of L.A. natives. And actually, I'm third generation on my dad's side. So by L.A. standards, quite ancient. 
Um, yeah. So my, my dad and I share that. We, we love talking about Angelinos and uh, our passion for, uh, or our ability to thrive in doing nothing. That that's sort of a famous thing about you know people in LA and and what a good time to have that skill. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. But anyway, uh, yeah, you know, it's from Sherman Oaks, and my parents are in the house I grew up in, and so it's great having them here. Um, my sister and brother-in-law are here. Uh, Freya has a sister and brother-in-law here, so we have a lot of family close. My mother-in-law actually is in our guest house half the week. Um, so it's just great to have a lot of close family here. And I, I, I love LA. I love, you know, it's a beautiful place to be. It's inspiring. Um, I find it to be a really good combination of kind of the, the work ethic and the ambition of that you find in a big city, but then also the chill out California factor and, and, and in that way, very balanced existence. You know, a lot of people who want to be outdoors yeah. and exercise and, uh, yeah, a, a I just, agree. and just a bohemian, like people forget even Hollywood it's really a, an industry of artists, you know, that's what it is. I think we think of entertainment as like this other animal now, but it's, it's built by artists. It's built by Bohemians. Right. That's a huge part of our foundation. So it's just a very creative place. So I loved growing up here and then Harvard Westlake, I start, I came in, in in ninth grade. So I went for, for high school. And mm-hmm. um, I think what drew me is I, I just liked, I loved doing a lot of different things. I had a lot of different passions. I was always really into athletics you know, basketball, basketball, um, Mm -hmm. was my top and we're actually Fran and I are in a league, the LA rec league, which I, one of the things I miss the most with this is to play so fun, but I played also softball, soccer, a tiny bit of water polo. I did art. My, both my parents are creative. My dad's an architect. My mom's an animator and did Mm. a lot of art music. I was in the jazz band at Harvard Westlake. So it was just a, wow. a good place to be able to pursue a lot of different things, plus be academic. Um, yeah. And I had a lot of friends. I went to Walter Reed in the IHP before Harvard Westlake. And I had a lot of friends. We came straight through, which, you know, was a public school um, yeah. into Harvard Westlake. So it's it's there weren't that many public schools where you had like a coalition of people come to Harvard Westlake. So that was kind of cool. And, and I have to say cool to kind of be part of both worlds. You know, yeah, <laughs> bit of LA. What was I guess to start off? Like, <laughs> what was that transition like? What were the things? I mean, you, you clearly you, you had a small pot of kids that came with you, so that probably helped. But what were the, as you recall, the the differences that you encountered when you first arrived as a ninth grader? I guess on the middle school campus. Quite a short. bit of differences. I mean, yeah. first of all, the middle school campus. It's even more transformed now, and even more just unbelievably gorgeous. But the setting. Yeah. Notably different from Walter Reed. Yeah. And I went to Carpenter before that, which as far as a public school goes, I, I think it's actually a charter now, but it's it's definitely ca- a cared for campus, but still a public campus. Yeah. Um, so visually quite different. I mean, I guess because I'm, I'm so into food and I always remember things like this at Walter Reed, if they put out any free snack, I can, I have one memory of like there being free cookies and punch and it was literally like a stampede and there were injuries to get to the free snack. <laughs> and then Harvard West, like it always seems like there was like food at every gathering and, you know, no one was like touching it because, you know, you're trying to keep fit or they're just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 uh, you're used to you're it. You're used to it. Yes. You're used <laughs> yeah. to it. Um, so it was good to see both sides, I think in that way. And I think Harvard Westlake is definitely, uh, at the time, at least it was definitely like really preparing for college. And one thing I think in particular that was great was the, um, the writing skills. I always, I felt like I entered college with such a leg up in terms of like really being able to write a, a clean paragraph, a clean essay, a clean structure for a paper. And cause I would see some of my 
friends who were very academic, but just the writing, you know, was kind of all over the place. And, you know, obviously we communicate so much now over email and it's even easier to yeah. put all that by the wayside. There were definitely a lot of, you know, good things about that, really getting that backbone. But I, that, that was a lot of what, what drew me to it. It seemed like it was a place where you had a lot of kids who had a lot of different passions and the ability to pursue them and, and take them seriously and really, really lean into that passion. So it sounds like you were involved in all sorts of areas at Harvard Westlake, but was there a teacher or, or a couple of teachers at Harvard Westlake that kind of in recollection were inspiring to you or that you look back now as an entrepreneur um, or even more inspiring to you or in terms of your writing were yeah. particularly helpful to you? Yeah. Um, it's so funny now. I'm now at 37 years old. You still call them miss, you know, so-and-so. Yep. You that's know. okay. But Catherine Holmes Schubach <laughs> was uh, to me yeah. just a, a huge standout. And I think you can tell because you, of what you really remember from what you learned. Like I just remember so specifically just little odds and ends of, of information, but also big concepts about art history European art history, these periods of history, what was going on with social change and, and what was reflected in the art, it just really stayed with me. Um, hmm. And I noticed that when I travel and I see those works and I just I recall things about them that are just seem so fresh in my mind. I think that has to do with when you're really engaged in a class and she and I have kept in touch yeah. and her oh, husband's cool, an cool. entrepreneur. So I've met him and it's been fun to, she really understands business. Like when you have someone in the house who's an entrepreneur, I think it like kind of can take over the whole family. <laughs> it's one of those things. So yeah, I, I would say definitely, definitely her. I loved uh, the music teacher, Margolis. Um, he was just- Jerry Margolis, yep. yep. Just so so creative and, you know, saxophone for me is at this point it's I, ha I have it here it's fun I play it I play happy birthday for friends when it's their birthday I wouldn't say that I've gotten to this like elite level by any means but it was a lot of fun to be in that and and um, it's something you can do for the rest of your life so that's that's really cool yeah you, you mentioned that having to kind of pivot during the pandemic and and multitask and have your eye toward all these different types of businesses I imagine being involved in so many different types of things in high school yeah. from sports to music to academics probably helped. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think you, you really have to balance it all and you look back and you're like, gosh, I was waking up pretty early, getting right to school, learning all day, having a good amount of homework, you know, it's Harvard Westlake, good amount of work to do. And yeah. um, then having my extracurriculars, uh, I think probably sports took up the most time, the most frequently, especially during all the various seasons. And then you got to practice, you know, music. It's like, God, how did I, how did I get it all done? And yeah. and then you're at your, you're in high school, you're at your parents' house, you disagree with them philosophically on many things. It's, it's <laughs> a, it's a crunch time, you know? So yeah. definitely, definitely. I think it sets you up if you, if you get through it and, and you can be happy at that time, it sets you up well for, you know, kind of the, the, the next decade or so pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So then after that, you go to UC Berkeley, correct? Yes. And tell me about that experience. What was your major and what was the experience there? So I uh, studied architecture and city plan and urban planning and Italian as a minor. I went to Italy abroad to Rome, which was amazing. Actually, the year I spent in Rome, I was with Cornell because I really wanted mm. to be in Rome and Berkeley didn't have a program there. And so I, I'm kind of, I, I feel lucky. I almost like went to two schools in terms of the amount of people that I met in college and Freya yeah. went to Cornell in Ithaca. So through a friend that I studied abroad with is how I know her. So my whole, you know, family. Ah, and, wow. Yeah. Huh. 
yeah, Berkeley is an amazing experience. It's such a magical place. It was great to be somewhere that felt quite different from home, but yet close enough that I could hop on like a $39 Southwest flight, you know, day of and yeah. do my laundry at my parents' house, which I'm sure they loved, or go like check out yeah. a library book at UCLA that Berkeley didn't have because the UC system wow. was all one program in that way. I think it still is. So it, it, it was just awesome. I loved being there. And I definitely think it inspired me as far as the, you know, food and, and eating and eating in a sustainable way. I mean, Berkeley is kind of like the homeland of slow food movement in this country. I, I actually feel like I ate quite well in, in college and got really into cooking. And hmm. um, that definitely was the foundation for me too. Yeah. When did you start? I mean, I, I want to get to kind of when you decided to start the company, but when did you start seriously making desserts? Yeah. I, it's, I was always more of a really into making savory dishes. And then I started making the ice cream actually with my friend, Sarah, her brother had an ice cream machine and he was making some flavors from scratch and we were kind of just hanging out. I started to play around with it too. That was at the same time that, you know, the recession was starting and I was starting to think about this ice cream sandwich idea and the punny names after architects. Yeah. And I think I've always enjoyed the ice cream making because I think of ice cream a bit more like cooking where it's this live experience in front of you, almost like making a sauce where like you could be churning it and you could add spice or salt or booze or something crunchy and, and taste it as you go a bit more versus like baking cookies, like in our original product, the ice cream sandwich, obviously half of it being cookies. Yeah. I actually am, I would not call myself a baker, gotten a little mm. bit into it in quarantine. I really, you know, more businesswoman entrepreneur than, than, you know, like a chef It's yeah. very different. You can obviously be both. You can of course be both. Yeah. But that being said, I, you know, know the product extremely well. I know extremely well how to scale it, what it takes to make it, what that equipment's going to look like, what the quality control tests are, what the health and safety checks are. I could think of a product and my mind goes in, it's almost like the whole kind of product engineering side of how it has to be done yeah. and how it can be then packaged, you know, what that's going to look like. I've really enjoyed actually that, you know, the technology aspect behind it all that, that really gets me going. And then for me, even more so is like the branding, the storytelling, the marketing, the innovation. Yeah. That's really, I think for me, like the architecture side in a lot of ways that, that I've enjoyed right. being really, really involved in with my business. Yeah. I wonder, so while you were at Berkeley, you mentioned that it was kind of the slow food movement was up there. So you're experiencing that and you're studying architecture. Is that where a lot of the influence would later come from to kind of start your business and create these desserts? Definitely. And also being in Italy, I think, where it's, mm. you know, simple ingredients done with care. That's really what can make something stand out, things that are made well and giving a little twist to them. I think that that was a huge influence for me. And, and also specifically gelato, you know, the defining thing with gelato versus ice cream, ice cream is good ice cream, premium ice cream is a high butter fat and a low overrun is the industry term. Mm. So that means like not a lot of air being churned into it as you're making it. And that density of flavor and that the fattiness is what kind of lights you up as far as deliciousness. Yeah. And, yeah. and you need to take another bite. It's, it's so craveable. Gelato is, you know, not distant from that. However, it's a really low amount of air and a little bit less butter fat. So I always tell people, it's like you're on vacation, you're eating gelato every day and you're wondering why right. you're, you still look good in your bathing suit. It's because it's so flavorful that it is yummy and like knocking your socks off, but it's not quite as creamy 
it's really more milk than cream based. And actually, mm. that's how we make. And a you're lot walking of ice cream. around generally while you're eating yes, it. I guess you're getting sitting, a little bit of exercise. Watching Netflix. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and the ingredients are. You know, I just think better clean ingredients are just better for you. Yeah. It's it's just something. There's some magic to that as well. I think and science to that as well. Mm. But so we make our ice cream on that slightly more. It's more of really a gelato style product. And the idea from like a consumer standpoint is. Also, if you're not being overwhelmed with the richness, you'll want to eat it more often. Plus, if it's in between two cookies, you're not going to feel sick after. You know, it's the perfect balance of all those things. Right. So I'm getting the architecture piece. You said your dad's an architect and your mom's an animator. What is, you mentioned kind of the architect, you were studying architecture, building a business in that way. Kind of where does the animation influence come into play, do you think? Yeah. If it does. Yeah, I was just watching my mom. <laughs> she works on a show now, American Dad. Just yeah, so funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. The animation, I mean, she always just nurtured my creative interests and passions and take me to art classes and showing me how to representationally like create and draw things. And I think just when you're around that when you're a kid, you start to think about how you can interpret the world and then reinterpret it into a, a work of art. And that that can be hmm. packaging on ice cream. And then I yeah. also think very specifically for both of them, it was like, oh, you can be creative and have a career. You know, it's not like this one or the other. You're not like right. rejecting Starving everything. Artist. Right, exactly. You can, yeah. you can, and you know, my mom's just a, a, just a badass in on the animation front. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and getting jobs and, and working her way up when so few women were just on, on sheer drive and talent and has just, you know, she's, she's won an Emmy. I mean, just really a, a role model for yeah. someone who's interested in being creative, but but having something that that can be stable. So that was a really yeah. big influence on me. And, and, you know, I used to come to work with her all the time and you just see it firsthand. And I think Disney, especially like they're the masters of storytelling and brand and creating characters that you love your whole life. And I definitely think for Cool House, I that really influenced me a lot. And mm. of course, I worked at Disney, too, myself. So I got to see it firsthand. But I think when you're a kid and you see that, it definitely has an influence on you. You could say Pixar is sort of the greatest storytellers of our oh time, God. right? I mean, just <sighs> I watched movie after movie. Totally, I watched them with Remy, and you're like, God, these are it's they're such deep. Like he's watching like Wall-E. Oh. He loves Wall-E now. And it's yeah, like, especially in the pandemic, it's like it's really there's something about that movie that really resonates in particular. Yeah, yeah. it's just you could you laugh, you cry. I mean, it's unreal. So after Berkeley, what's your first job out? And take us from there to how Cool House really starts to begin. Well, actually, I went to UCLA for graduate school. got my master's degree in oh, okay. architecture. And oh, um, okay. yeah. So that brought you back to LA. Brought me back to then. LA right, right after. Yeah, right after um, Berkeley. I started the next fall. You know, I needed more of the skills to be able to go into the architecture field. And um, mm -hmm. I also think you have to, I always thought I would kind of, use architecture and like bend it a different way to do something different. But I think you have to really understand what you're even going to bend before you can do that. So it yeah, was just right. good. And, and also I was so young. I started when I was 21 and I think you just maybe need more time to like know yourself a bit more. When I graduated, then I went straight to Disney Imagineering and that was an hmm. incredible opportunity. And I'm still wow. good friends with a bunch of folks who I met there who have been so supportive of Cool House all along. So I'm really lucky for that. And for those who don't know, what is Disney Imagineering? What does that mean within the world of Disney? They are famous for doing the theme park ride design, for example. So it's really the Disney experiences. So that's like the parks, you know, the, the rides yeah. experiences, the spaces, and then 
also like the hotels and the master plans around those, um, which I was more in the hotel hospitality side. Mm. And then, you know, when the recession hit, of course, that really impacted Disney. I mean, it was a real estate bubble explosion. So Disney was pretty hard hit and there yeah. were a lot of layoffs. And I just, you know, I didn't make it past the that six months. I was such a new hire and they really had a ah. hiring freeze. So I stuck around for a little and I actually remember one of my one of my bosses, he took me out to lunch not long before um, my last day. And he said, you know, you're doing this food meets architecture thing on the side. You seem so passionate about it. It seems really cool. Why not do that? And I remember saying like, oh, that's, that's not a, a thing to, to go and do. That's like a, that's a hobby. You know, that's yeah. something I just like my playtime. And what do you mean food meets architecture? Describe what that means. So I think actually consumer packaged goods is a, is a perfect example, which is part of why I got here. But it's like food and what we eat it's essence of it, you know, the ingredients, but then there's so much about how that's all put together. And that could be based on traditions, traditions of baking rituals, how and what people are wanting to eat at the time, what, what, what your needs are for your diet or for health or for energy. But then also how then is that all come together, either in the experience of dining or when you buy it, how is it packaged? How is that story told? What are the visuals behind that? And, and that's kind of just one example. I think food and, and architecture and design, like we eat with our eyes, like there's so, there's so much there. There's so much more to uncover. But for me, that's really how I think about what I do is, is the convergence mm. of those two things. Yeah. Um, and the food truck is, is such a great example of that. What makes that happen is you know you have you have what you want to eat from that like our ice cream for example but then the truck is so special because it's built in a certain way that it can go anywhere and be part of all these different moments and serve people and and light up and be magical and be mysterious kind of and that all has to do with yeah. how it's designed for a cool house that's really how how food meets design but there's a million great ways that I think those two worlds yeah. intersect yes yeah, so you're out you're out to lunch with your boss and he is encouraging you to pursue this yeah. kind of what's the next step from there? You know, then I, as I mentioned, I, I didn't make it much longer than that, but I had already met Freya and had started to do it a little more seriously on the side. Um, and, and, yeah. and in that case, it really was the ice cream sandwiches, making them and thinking about them as a business a bit more with Freya. And you guys were working on that together? Together in our spare time. And yeah, um, after work, on the weekends, um, making different iterations of the flavors, showing them to friends. I think then I started another job because it, it still wasn't possible to really do that full time yet. And, right. and also right. given the recession, as, as good as that is in, the, is the, in that it forces you to think about a path you weren't going to take, it still was like, okay, I'm not going to a bank and getting a small business loan, or it just seemed like financially it wasn't going to happen yeah. just yet. You still yet. needed a day job yes, kind of a thing. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. The farmer's market rejected us. I mean, nobody wanted us. Um, uh, and, um, I worked at a, a design trade show for a few months then until the summer of 2009, but in between, so basically January, 2009 to June, 2009, first of all, we incorporated the business. Thank you. Legal zoom. We went on legal zoom, we incorporated the business. We great. got into Coachella. We sold at Coachella. You know, we bought this, we had bought this ice cream truck on Craigslist for $2,700 wow. that had no engine. Um, so we actually fi figured out that if we joined AAA Platinum, we got one free 200 mile tow and we used that to tow us to the desert, which is how we actually launched. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Bootstrapping at its finest. And this was around the time, cause I, I, I interviewed Roy Choi as part of this yeah. podcast yeah. and this was right after 
I believe the Kogi Tacos had just sort of taken off, wasn't yes. it? Right around, right around in then. kind of two thousand, early two thousand nine. Yes. So there was the the environment started to to pick up around food trucks. Definitely, correct? definitely. There, I remember noting that there's something going on here with I think people's appetite and the interest and and also the yeah the and truck, social media, social right? media yeah. to find the location using Twitter for that. And I think that mm -hmm. it also feeling like something that um, was exciting and adventurous as the recession was setting in, it just was a, a good fit for, I think the, the zeitgeist was like a food truck because it, it, there was something so humbling about going and getting something from a food truck. It's not this lavish yeah. experience. Um, right. And, and that definitely was an inspiration for us in terms of, you know, wanting to elevate the ice cream truck for our generation. Yeah. Yeah. So very sim similar timing. And we ended up, they ended up uh, coming to Coachella, I think maybe a year or two after we had launched there. So we, we, ah. we met there amongst many other places. We were all, we were in all the early events together. So you go to Coachella yes. with the first food truck that you got on Craigslist and got a triple A toe. <laughs> out to India for Coachella. Kind of tell me about that experience. What was that like? Kind of launching it for the first time to a large audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, we made it through. We made some money. It, it was, what, what was important was we knew that we had something. You know, we really okay. did not know what we were doing. We didn't have really any branding on anything. It was all very confusing <laughs> for the customer, but we knew yeah. we had something because People were coming and wanting an ice cream sandwich at like 7 a.m., you know, before we were even awake. We had to sleep next to the truck. That was the rules mm. at the time. You had to camp by your station. Wow. And then also it went really viral from a media standpoint after Coachella. Ah. A friend of mine wrote about it uh, on Curbed. Not even a nice article. Something like, you know. Uh, if you're bored and you want something like weird, there's this like crazy architecture ice cream sandwich truck. And it was not even a flattering piece, but it was, it, it hit, you know, it hit a nerve and it just went the whole way home from Coachella. I was just getting calls from editors. And then luckily we had marked wow. twitter.com forward slash cool house. And Freya thought that our page was hacked because we were just getting a follower every couple of seconds. And I said, no, this is, this is happening. Like this is blowing up. People want this. So that's what was so important. It was it was like truly minimum viable yeah. product, but that's all we needed to know that it was worth pursuing. So that between right. Coachella in April to you know when that trade show that I worked at happened in June, that trade show did not survive the re the recession. But I knew by then, okay, I can I can do this full time, and this is going to work out, yeah. and I'm going to put all my energy into this in three months. Wow. After Coachella is when we figured out, oh, we can do private catering, which was a is is still the best margin part of our business, and is just such mm. a really talk about a way to just give people an experience and a memory. You know, having an ice cream truck pull up to this special event like that just became right. you know bread and butter for us, really. So, yeah, then 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 it was like we had what we needed to know that we were onto something, and we should we should pursue this. And so, how from there does it? get into Whole Foods and you open a shop, kind of how does it get from that level to, oh, this can be kind of a viable business. I don't have to get a job at a, another trade show. You know, every time I go to Whole Foods, there's there's rows and rows of Cool House products. Yeah, let's see. First was the shop. I think after a few years of running the trucks and, and scaling them to different cities, which was no small feat, it, it was kind of clear that true scalability of that industry is challenging. You know, each each city, each county, each state is so different as far as yeah. what's possible. No two trucks are alike. There isn't really like a standardization of a food truck. We knew, you know, we had something bigger than 
the limitations of really trying to grow that all around the country. So we thought, let's go back and explore the channels that, you know, we couldn't really in, you know, that moment of launch. And that was to have a scoop shop. So we opened our Culver City one, which is still a really essential part of our business and our brand. And then a year or two later, looked into the wholesale business. We'd gone an angel investor who was a super helpful mentor and coach. And he really helped us with the vision that, you know, the trucks are building the brand and are this kind of like special marketing. The shop is where you can like test an idea and have that hospitality side of the business. But in terms of becoming a household brand, you're going to need something like grocery and to also exit at some point should you desire that. And yeah. uh, we started to, to build that business. And I just honestly, at the time, I, I wandered into my local Whole Foods and I found out who, who is it that I could talk to that could help me get into a couple local stores to see if this this is a thing. And yeah. and so I met with what was called the regional forager at the time and Kimberly, and she just really loved the vision. She happened to have an architecture background too. And mm. um, she, she thought a lot of it was a bit crazy. The price I wanted to to sell the sandwiches at, which was exactly what we sold them from the trucks in the shop. I didn't want there to be any compromise in what we were doing. And I thought, you know, we're going to come in, we're going to be the best, you have to pay for the best. And it's still at the end of the day, $5. So she's since told me that she did not think it would work out, which it just shows you your job as the entrepreneur is to know that and to figure that out and get it done. A lot of other roles in the world have a very different relationship with risk and breaking rules and and breaking barriers. Yeah. This restore test in Whole Foods, we had had built the brand because of the trucks and because of the social media and the PR and the shop and the story behind it. And so it was successful to go on to a 25 store test, which then meant we got picked up in distribution. And then we were really able to sell it more nationally. And now that's, there's a huge engine behind that we look at the data of all how the stores do. We have sales team. We innovate in a very specific and targeted way, making sure we're giving our consumer really what they want. Yeah. There's there's so much that goes into it. The marketing, you know, what you do on shelf, what you do off of shelf. It's at a whole machine now. So that's really become mm-hmm. it's amazing to think of how it started so, so humbly and where it is now. And I know something that's important to you is supporting female entrepreneurs, supporting gay female entrepreneurs. I wonder if you talk about the role you play as an example and as a leader and as an advocate? Yeah. First is, you know, leading by example. That can never be forgotten about as a really important thing is going out and doing something that's meaningful and being open about who you are so that others around you or the next generation can be inspired to feel like, oh, there's someone who's like me and and if they could do that, I can do it too. And maybe they can do even Mm -hmm. more in the next generation. And that's ultimately the goal. But I think it takes more than even that to really make change. And that is how can you use your passion and your platform to you know, help create equal opportunity and to help really tell stories and make investments, whether that's a, a literal investment in something or creating a product that can drive awareness or however that may look like and really make it a meaningful part of what you do, but also an authentic part so that it makes sense with you yeah. know, how you've built the business and your founding story. And really important for me and Freya's being women and being entrepreneurs and and how much there is to change there. I mean, women get such a small percentage of the capital that is raised in startups. Mm. And why is that? And, and even more unequal is women of color. It's just astonishing when you look at the number yet women owned Mm -hmm. businesses do twice as much with that capital. So we, so we know there's, there's no reason for this other than prejudice or it not being talked about or, or some major disconnect, you know, between spreading the good word about people who are trying to grow these brands who are different 
founders that look different. Yeah. Um, we have a really cool partnership, for example, with Black Girl Ventures, and they're amazing. It's black and brown female founders, and they really create like a whole incubator, pitch competition that's live, you know, webinars and classes and mentorship. And it's it's just awesome. We've been working with them really closely and we're, we've developed three ice cream flavors and there's going to be a pitch competition of each of the flavors and the one that raises the most live that will become a grant for one of their entrepreneurs. And then we'll take that flavor and we'll sell it in our shop. The, all the proceeds for that will become a grant. So it's like doing what wow. we do best to help make a change. Before we go, I have a few kind of get to know you questions as part of the supporting cast. They relate to Los Angeles. We are known for, as we talked about before, our uh, movies and our food and our climate. So I have three quick questions for you. What is Natasha Case's favorite movie? Can I, I'll answer the, my favorite movie that I have watched in quarantine has been The Net with Sandra Bullock. Wow. I remember. That's an early internet movie. Yes. Right? Where she's like ordering pizza on the internet and it's very early and yeah, got it. Why that in, movie? She lives in Venice Beach. You know, she's like so ahead of her time. She's kind of a shut in. Yes. Kind of, right? And her whole identity yeah. is stolen and like no one can, she has no way of really proving that's that right. it's happening. And it just like, the whole movie seems so ahead of its time because it, you really, re it's like <laughs> all like paid digital advertising now. It's we're just, we're sharing so much of ourselves with, you know, yeah. the internet. What is your favorite meal in Los Angeles? It can be something you and Freya make at home. It can be a restaurant you guys frequent. Yeah. I've been loving getting um, Kismet for takeout. It's women run okay. the, the two Sarah's and um, delicious. I love Middle Eastern food and I, I try to eat, you know, vegetarian as much as I can. So they have great, hmm. great, I don't feel in any way. And Kismet, Kismet rotisserie, a lot of great veggie op options. So I'm a big fan of them. Third question. What is your favorite place in Los Angeles? So it can be a part of town. It can be a street or a we, uh, this Landmark. is such a great question. I mean, we've been just, I've gone to the beach more this year as a native. Yeah, we have too. ever have. Yeah. yeah. We're so lucky to be somewhere we can just drive 15, 20 minutes and we even just go to the beach in Santa Monica. Yeah. But that's something I feel like you can socially distant, have another family there, be separate and be safe. And we have kids around the same age, so it's perfect for kind of that age group, Remy's right? And he Gosh, says it's just... his favorite. He just could spend all yeah. day there. Well, this is a good segue. So very last question. I have a two-year-old. You have a three-year-old and a seven-month-old. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. What is your best parenting advice? Yeah, I mean, they're not young forever. And especially if you have young kids, it's just being in the moment with them to the best that you can, just especially now that we're using technology to stay afloat so much, just really, you know, unplugging from it all and just savoring this moment, you know, you know, you'll look back and, and I think this will be a highlight for a lot of people who, who do have kids, like, especially it's the balance can be extremely tricky. Like I mentioned, we're lucky we're not also dealing with, you know, at home school and working from home. That's a whole other level. But then again, to have this kind of quality time with your kids, they're, they're loving it just getting to be around their parents. And so, yeah, just if you, if you have any wish, it's that you could have done more of it, not less, you know, so often. Yeah. So um, thinking of it as an opportunity instead of uh, a pain. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy it and embrace it. Yeah. Natasha Case, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. This is the supporting cast.